your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter number 2. And we'll continue our series today called It Hurts to Serve. It Hurts to Serve. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. And kind of as we get to the chapter and we are going to go through, we're going to see that Jesus was beginning to upset the establishment. He upsets the apple cart, so to speak. He healed people at the wrong time, called unlikely followers to leave all and pledge their lives to him. But he taught with an authority that was unique, that was different than anything that they had ever heard before. And it brings us an interesting question this morning. What does following Jesus really look like? What does it look like? See, Jesus does some very different things in this chapter and and following Jesus, he would require these men, these followers, these people to lose something. To lose something. It would cost them something. Our series is called It Hurts to Serve for a Reason. Dictionary.com defines the word hurt this way. To cause mental pain to, to offend or to grieve. To offend or to grieve. See, serving and following Jesus will be offensive to some. It'll grieve other people, but it may cause stress and pain to the person who's actually following. It may hurt. The one who's following Jesus will be faced with a choice. Do I continue the way that I've been going all along? Do I continue doing what I've been doing? Or is there something else? Do I follow into this unknown arena that I'm unfamiliar with, not knowing what's coming? See, following Jesus would mean death for the majority of the disciples. They just didn't know it yet. Following Him would cost them their lives. And following Jesus today will most likely cost you something. Will most likely cost you your dreams, your desire, your ambition. Maybe what you feel like your life. This is kind of how I've charted out my life. I've got my 10-year plan. I've got how my life is going to end up. You know, I'm going to get married at this time. And I'm going to have kids at this time. And I'm going to have grandkids at this time. And I'm going to be retired by this time. And I'm going to make this much money. And all of that sounds good. But what if God has another plan? What if God's way isn't your way? Can you live with that? Can you accept that His plan might be better than your plan? Oh, pastor, that means I'm going to make more money and I'm going to retire early and I'm going to have more kids and less stress and all these. No, no, no. What if His plan involves pain? What if His plan involves suffering? What if His plan involves emotional stress? What if uh, his plan involves anxiety? What if his plan involves hurt? Can you live with the fact that it may hurt to serve Jesus? It may cost you something dear to you. That's what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 14 in verse 27 when he said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You've got to be willing to count the cost. Remember he gave that analogy in verse number 28 of Luke 14. And he said, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. He gave them that example. So knowing that, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's absolutely worth it. But what are some things that we need to be 
ready for. Let's look in our text in Mark chapter number 2. And let's begin in verse number 13. It says, And he, Jesus, went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Now, we know that this is Matthew, the writer of the first gospel. We know who this is. The son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus, as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. They followed him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. and Thank you for the application of your word and how it applies to us. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our heart and show us, uh, Lord, how we can be drawn more closely to you. Help us to see your desire for our life, even if that means that it doesn't align with our desires. Uh, Lord, we understand that serving you comes at a cost, and sometimes that cost is painful. Uh, Lord, whether it's emotionally or physically or uh, whatever the case may be, Lord, help us to be willing to count the cost and, number two, be willing to pay the cost. Lord, I ask that you please help us to draw close to you this morning. Speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of any unconfessed sin and purify me and help me to be clean as I preach this morning. Lord, please speak to us. If there's someone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please draw them to you in spite of what it may cost them. Help them to see that you are worth it. You're worth it. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the inspection. The inspection. Because of this new way of ministry, Jesus had more onlookers than ever before. Uh, Some were curious and searching. Some were just looking for a way that they could criticize and uh, critique Jesus' ministry and find fault so they could point out that fault. And we see in verse number 13 through 15, we see the response. We see the response. Jesus is walking as he travels in verse 13, and he has a group following. We know at least Four of the disciples are already following Jesus at this point. That's Peter and James and John and Andrew. But Jesus passes by the booth of a tax collector. We see Levi sitting here, Matthew, the writer of the first gospel. Tax collectors were not known for their honesty. I won't make any jokes about that. But they worked for Herod Antipas. And ultimately they worked for the Romans. So they were considered social outcasts because they had denied their heritage. They were working for the enemy, essentially. So these were not loved people. They were hated by most Jews. They were not welcome, looked down upon by society, compared with harlots. That's the level that they were seen as. Not the type of person that a Jewish rabbi would associate himself with. And when you look at the four men who uh, had associated with Jesus, that Jesus had already called to follow him, they would be more likely candidates to be in the group. Because they were commoners. They didn't know all of the law or the requirements. They didn't grow up uh, in the elite circles. They needed a teacher. They needed someone to show them the way. But someone who was a tax collector had been educated. They knew the ins and outs of religiosity. They knew how to act. They would need molding rather than Jesus starting from scratch. And what's interesting is the fact that Jesus calls to both groups. And he still does the same today. He calls to the common man 
and the educated man. He calls to the one who knows it all and knows nothing. Like you may be here this morning or watching online and you know very little about Christianity. Uh, you're new to the faith. Maybe you're new in your walk with the Lord. and uh, You don't know a lot of the songs. And you don't know uh, what even amen means when somebody says amen. What is, what is that? Uh, you don't even know what those things are. Maybe you're new to this. Or maybe you're someone who's grown up in church all your life. I mean, you don't need the screens or a hymn book. You've got the songs down pat. You know them by heart. You, you could sing the songs verbatim. You know everybody's name. You know where the books of the Bible are. You grew up in this. And the thing is that Jesus calls to both groups. Calls to both. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, anybody, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 14, verse 23, when he was trying to gather a crowd and trying to fill the marriage supper. And it says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Now, he's not talking about physical house. He's talking about spiritual house. Uh, go out into the most obscure places and bring everybody. Tell them, Mama said, Come. Bring them. Anybody you can find, compel them, strongly urge, beg them to come that my house may be filled. Jesus calls to everyone, no matter your knowledge or background of who he is. Whether you know what he did, whether you know about his life, or you know every detail about his life, Jesus calls to you. The question is, have you answered the call? Have you picked up the phone when he dialed your number and responded to his invitation to follow him? We see the response of Matthew that he leaves everything and follows him. And then we see in verse 16 and 17 the repentant. Not only Matthew's response, Levi's response, we see the repentant. When Jesus calls Matthew, he invited Jesus and his followers to come into his home. It says in verse 16, When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, that's who Matthew associated with. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Let me say that again. That's not a bad thing, by the way. The fact that you know publicans and sinners. And see, we look at this title and say, Oh my goodness, publicans and oh. Publicans and sinners was their verbiage that these were unreligious people. These weren't uh, the church-going folk. These were people who ignored and consistently violated the religious teaching of the day. That's who this was. It wasn't that they were horrible, wrong, nasty, vile people. It was just they said, hey, that's not for us. You know anybody like that? Nobody said, hey, I, that's good for you. I'm glad that you went to church, but that's just not my thing. You know, Jesus is not really my cup of tea. We all know people like that. You've all invited somebody to church or given a track to somebody and they say, hey, that's just not for me. Hey, thanks, but no thanks. And that's who these people were. But imagine the fact that they, that kind of person, those people, who's in the middle of that group? Jesus is. He's in the middle of that group. Many of these people were dishonest and corrupt. And yet Jesus is associating with people like this. No religious leader of the day would tarnish their reputation by associating with these kinds of people. 
And isn't it interesting to note that the people that Jesus battled with the majority of his life and ministry were not these people. It hasn't changed much either, by the way. The people that Jesus battles with today, Jesus doesn't battle with people of the world. They could care less. You know who Jesus battles? The religious people of the day. The people who feel like they have all the answers. Uh, remember James chapter 4 and verse 17? Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We know all the answers, but are we doing the things that we know? Are we doing those things? They have a problem in verse 16. They have a problem with who Jesus associates. And I'm glad that we don't have a problem with who Jesus associates with. Because there was a day and time when we were in this publicans and sinners category. The people, hey, that's not my thing. Jesus is not my thing. Uh, But God committeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, While we were in that without God category, Jesus had died for us, for us, for that category. But when we think about that, these people have a problem. Look at verse 16. They said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, a couple of problems. Number one, they had a problem with the fact that Jesus is trying to help people who were in need, which he'll deal with that in a minute. But the biggest thing is they didn't ask Jesus outright. Hey, Jesus, tell us, why are you sitting here? What'd they do? They went to the disciples. Why does your master do this? Let's bring it to today. What is our obligation today? You got a problem with somebody? It says in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 1, it is impossible but that offenses will come. Can I just go ahead and share a great secret of the Bible this morning? At some point in your life, you are going to get offended. (gasps) No! It's going to happen. How do you know that? Because Jesus said so. It's impossible, but that offenses will come. It's going to happen. Somebody offends me, what do we do? I find the closest person I can find and share it. That's what happens. All right? Uh, and I'm going I'm to, uh, personal example. Come here, Gabe. Just a second. All right? Gabe. Gabe and I are doing discipleship together, so it's good. It's a good example. All right, so Gabe ticks me off. Ticks me off. All right? All the time. All the time. So Gabe ticks me off, and my obligation is to tell Gabe, dude, what is wrong with you? You know, stop. I don't either. That's the thing. Uh, what is wrong with this guy? He is just a jerk. You know, he just ticks me off. But, it, but that is my obligation. That is my biblical obligation. Gabe, you tick me off. I'm going to tell you about it. Let's get it right. That's my obligation. But that's not how we are, is it? What do I do? I'm going to go and I'm going to tell one person. Just one. And we don't really think, and I would say, Pastor, it's one person. Big deal. All right? So I'm going to tell Stephen. Stephen is my friend. Stephen, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to walk over here. And uh, you all have to follow me this morning. All right? Stephen, man, hey, you're a good friend of mine, and we need to pray for Gabe. You know, God is really doing a work in his heart, but 
you know, this past week we had discipleship. He didn't even show up. He didn't even show up. True. True. <laughs> he didn't even show up. And I called Gabe. And, you know, he probably has some kind of spiritual problem in his life. Will you help me pray for Gabe? He will. All right, great. Thank you, brother. You know, you're, you're a blessing. Thank you for being a blessing. Now, all right, I should have gone to Gabe, and I did, by the way. We've already worked this out. All right, but this is an analogy. It's an illustration, all right? So instead of talking to Gabe, now I have talked to Stephen. It's just one person. All right, just one person. All right, but Stephen, you're going to have to stand up for just a second. Stephen, I want you to go and stand next to one person, not your wife. Stand next to one person. Okay? All right? Anytime, brother. Anytime. All right. Okay. All right, George. He's going to share. Go ahead and stand up, George. Now, he's going to share with George that Gabe is a jerk. Okay? Well, we do it in the form of a prayer request, so it's spiritual. Okay? All right, spiritualized. It's not sin then because it's a prayer request. All right? So now Stephen and George know. Now, my first obligation, Gabe, 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 tell Gabe. All right, now each of you guys go tell one person. It's just one. I'm only going to tell one person, but they're going to tell one person. Okay? Guys, pick, pick one person. Pick one person. George, pick one person. One person. All right? All right, so you guys, if you will, stand up. Okay? Now, we're getting somewhere. Stay with me, okay? Now, these guys, hey, pray for Gabe. Pray for Gabe. You know, let's, let's pray for him together. Let's pray right now because Gabe is a jerk and he has a spiritual problem, all right? Now, I only told one person. I only, I only told one, all right? These guys have their own spiritual problem. They can't keep their mouth shut. But I only told one person. All right, now, guys, you go find one more person. Okay, all right, Gabe, we could finish this illustration out and everybody's going to hate you, okay? But, but here we go. We got people, we got people, we got people, all right? So Jacob, J- Jacob doesn't have to stand up if you don't want to, that's fine. All right, so now, Tony, stand up for me, please, sir. Okay, now we have a group. We're all praying for Gabe because Gabe is a jerk, all right? Now, Jacob, don't go anywhere. You can tap your grandma right next to you, okay? Now, here, here's the last time. Guys, go find one other person. Go find one other person. And when you find that person, stand up, please. Stand up, all right? Now, here's where we're going. Justin, stand up right there, okay? Now, all of a sudden, I only told one person. I told one person, but look at our group. Now, everybody knows that I have a problem with Gabe. And I should have just gone to Gabe. Now, these people all know that there's an offense. You see this? These people all know that I have an offense. But here's the bigger problem, okay? They all know that the story that they heard came from somewhere. 
Do you think Gabe is walking around telling people, man, I'm a jerk. I stood pastor up for discipleship. Y'all pray for... No, no. It came from one person. Me. It came from me. So now, these people don't necessarily think that Gabe's a jerk. They think, man, why can't pastor get over that? Why is he holding that against Gabe? Gabe's not even 18 yet. Surely he can't know better. But here's the, here's the bottom line. And guys, you can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for your time. But here's, here's the bottom line. Biblically, I have a responsibility to deal with the offense and the person who offended me. Not everybody else. They don't need to know. Y'all didn't need to know. You do now. Uh, but, uh, Thank you, that's right. You're very welcome because I love you. All right. But here's, here's the thing. Nobody needed to know our issue. Now, we could flip that in reverse. I come back to Gabe and say, man, Gabe, I, I want to get this right. I, I told one person about this, you know, and I'm sorry. And I'm going to go, hey, we're going to make this thing right. All right, so, hey, I love you. We're right, okay? We got it right? Okay, you can go sit down. Thank you. All right, you've been humiliated enough. All right, so, now here's, here's, here's what happens. I told one person, remember? Me. I told one person. So I'm going to go over here. Hey, Stephen, man, thank you so much for praying for Gabe. Man, God did a work, bro. We, we got it right. We talked about it. And we set that relationship up. And we, man, we're back on track. Thank you for praying. He knows. But is he going to go tell all those other people? Mm -mm. No. He might tell one person. He might tell the one person that he told. But do we honestly think that the chain reaction that I caused is going to be eliminated? No. Somewhere along the line... The story's still going to be out there when it never had to happen in the first place. It wasn't necessary. I could have just come to Gabe and said, Gabe, you're a jerk. You stood me up. Let's get this thing right. Let's pray together. And we would have been done. But instead, I started all of this and it was unnecessary. What does Matthew chapter 18 say? How am I supposed to handle this? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Alone. Why is it so important that I just forget this? Why is it so important? Alone, alone, alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. The relationship gets restored and everything is back on track if I do it the Bible way. Imagine that. Things work out when we do it according to the Bible. But I can cause all kinds of havoc. Long story, back to our text. What did they do? They brought the disciples into it. They didn't have to do that. They didn't need to do that. They should have asked Jesus directly. They should have come to Him. But Jesus' response rings true. Look at verse number 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, 
They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. Real simple. If you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. Jesus came for sinners, not for the self-righteous. Their problem was they didn't need any help. They were fine as they were. They didn't need Jesus. And that's the problem. These sinners knew that they were guilty. They knew that they had a problem. They knew they had a need. And they came to Jesus to get it. So the question is, which category are you in? Do you have a need for Jesus? Are you a sinner in need of a Savior? Or you say, hey, I'm good. I'm good. Me and, me and Jesus are on good terms. That typically means that you're a sinner. Because you are not allowing Him into your life. Hey, we're good. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. Said nowhere in the Bible. You don't get a personal you know, inroad with Jesus because you feel like you've done something. That puts the attention on you and not on God. But getting somebody, you think about there's a lesson. We shouldn't isolate ourselves to be only people who reach out to Christian communities, friends, neighbors. We have to be reaching out. Those that are sick. Hey, I'm thankful when we have people visit from another church or they're on vacation. They come through. But having someone visit from another church in our area to try and get them to come here is not New Testament evangelism. It's not building the local church. We're to invite sick people. People who have a need. People who are lost. When we go out this year and we're advertising for Easter services, those are the people we're looking for. Hey, I know, man, pastor, my next door neighbor, I know he needs Jesus. Have you introduced your neighbor to Jesus? Have you told them about your story? Have you invited them to a place where they could come and meet Jesus face to face? I think about all of those things that are going around. Who do you know? We see the response and how Levi walked away and followed Jesus. The repentant were in his midst. But then we see the rituals. Look at verse number 18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? They spun it around. Now they're talking to Jesus. They're talking directly to him. Both the disciples of John and the Pharisees participated in fasting. In the Old Testament, it was instituted as an expression of deep sorrow. But it had become just another ritual that they did out of habit. It was nothing more than that. It had no meaning. These people noticed that Jesus' disciples did not fast. And they wanted to know why. Why don't you participate in something that we've done for years that has no meaning? Why don't you do something that's meaningless? That's what they're asking. And Jesus answered by giving them three analogies. Rapid fire. He talked about the bridegroom. And how as long as the children of the bridegroom, the friends of the bridegroom, were all together with him, they weren't sorrowful. But the day would come when the bridegroom would be taken away. And there would be reason for sorrow. Then they would fast. So he talked about that. And then in verse number uh, 21, he said, No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Jesus is comparing the old dispensation, that Old Testament practice, Judaism, to the old garment. 
He's taking the new approach, Christianity. He's saying, hey, you don't put a brand new patch on a piece of uh, clothing that's falling apart. You don't do that. Because at some point, that new patch is going to rip again in that old piece of clothing. Then he talked about wine and the new wine and the old wineskins. If new wine that had not been fermented was put in old wineskins, eventually they would burst. New wineskins needed new, uh, new wine needed new wineskins so that it would stretch appropriately. It was time for something new, something different, something that was alive. And we see it in our churches today. Christianity has always suffered from man's attempt to mix in other things. To mix in other theologies. We, saw, we would maybe call it legalism today. Uh, trying to put my spin, my practice on top. Legalism is adding man's provision on top of God's redemptive work. Man's provision on top of God's redemptive work. If you don't look like us, you don't act like us, you don't do these things, you don't sing out of this book, you don't carry this Bible, you're not part of this denomination, you don't meet my standards... Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spoke to that. Verse 27, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like an whited sepulcher, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. They would take the tombs and they would paint them white on the outside. It was a notification for passers-by, hey, there's death here, stay away. It looked pretty on the outside, but on the inside there was death. And Jesus is saying to the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, this is your problem. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you've not addressed the primary need. You look good, and why would someone want Christianity that looks good on the surface. But when you start digging into it, there are rules that aren't even biblical. You know, that's not New Testament Christianity. The world detests hypocrisy in any form. So why would we give them a form of it in the local church? You have to look like this. You have to dress like this. You have to be like this. Somebody receives Christ this week. We expect them to be in Bible college the next week. We expect them to look the part and, man, every addiction they've ever had, every problem they've ever had has gone away because new life has begun. But new, life te- new Testament Christianity takes time to be developed. It's called sanctification. It's the process of what's going on in the inside that eventually works its way out. We flip that process around. We want it to start on the out and work its way in. That's not biblical. Because the best that you and I will ever do is get somebody to conform to my rules. Not God's word. Our objective, the Holy Spirit leading people, is to show them that they need more of God in their heart and life. Not more of you and I. Hey, more about Jesus would I know. Uh, Yet not I, but Christ through me, not more of me in your life. You don't need more of me in your life. You need more of this book in your life. You need more of Him. 
But are we stressing that? Why can't we just live what Jesus said? Love God and love others. It's really simple that we complicate. Love God and love others. There was an inspection. And then lastly this morning, we see the irresponsible. Not only the inspection, it was seen that not only Jesus uh, drew that crowd of potential followers as he's traveling, he also attracts naysayers. They're walking on the Sabbath day and his followers grab lunch on the go. They get their lunch to go. And the conversation from that point forward was all about what they had done. You think about these people who were looking good on the outside, but on the inside there was a problem. Today in our society, we look good when we come to church, but we haven't addressed our pride. We haven't addressed our gossip. We haven't addressed our insecurities and our faults and our failures that nobody's seen, our secret sins that nobody knows about. We haven't addressed that, but we come to church and we act normal like everything's great and we're the greatest Christian that's ever walked the face of the earth. When in reality, we all need to be transparent and break down the barriers and say, hey, I got a problem. I got a need. It's called accountability. It's called New Testament discipleship. Walking with Jesus and walking with others, not so that we can conform ourselves to their image, but so that we know that we're not alone in our journey with Jesus. Uh, anybody else in here say, I'm a sinner? Okay. Anybody else in here have needs? Okay. All right. So we're all on the same page. We all understand that we're all made of the exact same stuff. So there are no big eyes and little use. But when we look at verse number 23, that's what's going on. That's the thought process. We see what they were doing, they thought was unlawful. Unlawful. Look at verse 23. And it came to pass that he, that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Now it has to be mentioned that what they were doing did not violate any of the commandments of God. But according to the traditions of men, the disciples were reaping on the Sabbath. That's what their sticking point was. Jewish tradition stated that there were 39 acts that were strictly forbidden on the Sabbath. Moses prohibited work on the Sabbath, but he gave no details. So leave it to the religious elite to add what they thought Jesus meant or what they thought Moses meant. We look at it today and say, I know exactly what Jesus meant. Here it is. But if Jesus didn't say it, how do we know what he meant? Do you know this book is everything that God wants you to know about himself? Nothing more, nothing less. This is everything. We don't need to add to or take away. This is what he wants us to know about him. Remember when he was walking with disciples in Luke chapter 24 on the Emmaus Road. I'm never going to finish this message today. Uh, Luke chapter 24 on the Emmaus Road. And uh, it's because of missionary. If we didn't have mission, no, I'm kidding, kidding. Uh, but totally kidding. Love Brother Brian and Sandy. But when you think about what did Jesus say? Remember when he walked with the, on the Emmaus Road with two disciples? And they were all discombobulated, all upset, didn't know what was going to happen next. How did Jesus talk to them? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them all things concerning 
the law, the customs of men, the teaching of the day, all things concerning himself. Himself. You know what we need today in our lives as believers? We need more teaching about who Jesus desires to be in us. In us. And not more traditions of the law. Not more commandments of men. The law allowed for those who were poor and hungry to glean from the fields of their neighbors. Remember Ruth and Boaz? They were gleaning, trying to feed their families. But they weren't upset by that. They were upset that it happened on the Sabbath. On that particular day. Exodus 31. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it's holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. So here's the rub. The Pharisees were concerned about their version and interpretation of the law, but overlooked the fact that these men were in need. Did you get that? They're more hung up on tradition than they were that people had a need. Remember when Jesus came and he healed the, the, the demon-possessed man, Legion, and all of the demons went into the pigs? And they ran off the cliff and they all died. They committed suicide. Get that later. You're welcome. Uh, the one joke for the day. That's it. All I got. But number one, the people were not even supposed to legally be around pigs. They were forbidden. But they were more concerned with their loss of income than the fact that Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed man. They were more concerned about dollars than they were demons. They were more concerned about their normal way of living than they were that this man just got transformed supernaturally by Jesus. Now we look at that and say, well, pastor, big deal. How do you and I respond when someone is transformed supernaturally by the power of the gospel? Eh, a big deal, pastor. Uh, Jesus saves people everywhere. That is an incredible deal that we ought to rejoice about every single time like it's the first time. How, do you how did you respond when Jesus found you? Well, I guess I'm saved now. No. There was a transformation. A metamorphosis took place in your heart and life. And you got a little excited. You probably told a few people about it. Why can't we do that again and again and again and again when Jesus keeps doing it over and over and over and over for somebody else? We get upset when somebody comes into church with markings on their body or piercings all over them. Without the right outfit, they don't look, act, or smell like us. We forget that this is a hospital for the sick instead of a country club for the saints. We say, well, you know, I, Jesus said in John 12, 32, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. When we lift up Jesus, people are going to come to see that. Why would we put on a sign on the door that tells people, how we expect them to behave or act or look or dress, and then they have to be approved for entry by us. They're not even coming to see us. They're coming to see Him. Why would we get in the way of that? 
Why would we try to stop that? It was unlawful. It was unheard of. It wasn't unheard of. Verse 25, Jesus referenced the situation from 1 Samuel 21. David came to the priest for food. He was on the run from Saul and, uh, uh, and the men were hungry and the priest gave David what was unlawful. He gave them food that they weren't allowed to have. But the law was given to be helpful and point people to their need, not be restrictive for their needs to be met. Remember Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 3, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. For after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. See, the law has a limit. And when the law reaches its end, that's where grace begins. When the law reaches its limit, that's where grace begins. Lastly, this morning, it was used. It was used. Look at verse 27 as we close this morning. He said unto them, they had all these problems, and Jesus brought it down home. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. See, he reminds the people that Sabbath was given to mankind for their benefit, not to put them under bondage. God desires us to have a time every single week where we rest, where we worship, where we reflect on His goodness. That looks different for everybody. But what He did not give us the Sabbath for was so that we would be chained. We would be bound. Jesus said in the temple in John chapter 8, verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. What was He trying to teach them? A life of chains that they had brought on themselves. That's where they were doing. They had brought all of these restrictions on themselves and they could not be free. What does Jesus want to do for us today? He wants us to be free from the chains that we brought on ourselves. At first sin, but then all of the extra things that we feel like we've got to do. If I do all of these things, then God will be pleased with me. God requires us to love Him and love others. That's what He requires. Everything else flows out of that. But if you don't love Him first and you love others, what else is there to do? Nothing else matters. We've been set free. Galatians is all about being free in Christ and living a free life, living free from all of the expectations of the world and all the expectations of others we don't come to church to please other people we come to worship him wouldn't it make sense to live in freedom rather than in bondage if that's what he came for and how many times have we been set free only to live the rest of our lives sitting in the prison cell with the door wide open and we expect God to bless me while I'm still in prison Hey, God expects you to get out of jail and live a free life. God wants us to live victoriously, free indeed, victoriously. He said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If by me any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out, find pasture. So the question today, are you living in bondage today? Are you living under the chains of expectation? Oh man, I've got to do this and I've got to do it. No. God wants you to love Him.
first and foremost. And then out of that love should come action in service of other people. That's it. That's it. But how often do we add to that? Jesus plus nothing. Are you living under chains of bondage today? Or are you living a free, victorious Christian life that he has designed us to live? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you this morning, are you free? Are you living in bondage today? Has there been a time in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you walking in the freedom that he has designed you to live in? Are you in bondage? Are you struggling? Are you feel like you're in captivity? Maybe today's purpose is for you to see where you are and where he wants you to be. Could I challenge you this morning to live the way that he has designed you to live? To be free, to walk in freedom, to walk in his truth. Maybe you're here and watching online and you've never received Christ as your personal savior. Salvation is knowing that you have a need, that you're a sinner. It's believing and knowing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and died in your place to pay for that need. And then simply calling and asking him to apply what he did on the cross to your heart and life. Have you done that? Have you done that? Has there been a place in time in your life where you know you can go back to at that moment in time and you receive Jesus as your personal Savior? If you can't, maybe you never have. If you have a doubt, that's where I was as a teenager. I didn't know. I didn't remember. And I wasn't confident that if I died, I was going to be on my way to heaven. I didn't know. Maybe that's you today. But would you simply acknowledge your need, whatever it is? Maybe you're walking around, you have Jesus, but you've added all these extra things that you have to do so that he'll be pleased. Hey, let's strip all of that away and come back to that heart of worship where it's all about him. Nothing else. It's all about Jesus. Would you talk to the Lord today? Our personal workers are getting ready to come and they'll be in their place in just a moment. But would you simply talk to the Lord this morning about whatever your need is? We're going to sing that song in just a minute, The Heart of Worship. Pastor Tim will lead us in that song. Brother John's going to be down front. Personal workers will be ready. and Love to pray with you, whatever your spiritual need is. But would you simply talk to God this morning about whatever you need today? Father, please bless this time of invitation. Do a work in our hearts that only you can do. We love you. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. Pastor Tim's going to lead us in a song. Let's sing it together. If you need to come to the altar and pray, you need to pray with someone. Folks are standing by ready to pray with you. Do what God wants you to do this morning.